Um, welcome back to the Durst Show. Um, since the time we last met on Wednesday, the pressures have mounted enormously to prosecute, prosecute former President Donald Trump and try him and put him in jail, put him in prison and disqualify him from voting. Although technically, I guess a president can run for office from prison. Mayor Curley, I think, in Boston, Massachusetts, ran and won, I think, for mayor while he was serving a, a prison term. And um, a mayor of Providence, Rhode Island, probably could have won had he run from, from prison. But um, the pressures are mounting. The pressures from the committee, obviously, the January 6th committee is designed to prevent Trump from running and designed to try to gather the evidence to put pressure on Attorney General um, Merrick Garland to uh, prosecute. There's also pressure by and from the prosecutor in Georgia, a state prosecutor in Georgia, to go after uh, Donald Trump. Uh, my own view, and people will disagree with this, is that voters should have the right to defeat him for office and um, instead of prosecutors, that it'll be far more legitimate if he is allowed to run. I don't know whether he will run or not. He says he will run, but we don't know whether he'll run or not. And if he's run, if he runs, I will plan to do what I did the last two times he ran, vote against him. But I will defend his right, his right not to be subject to selective political uh, prosecution. And that's exactly what, what would happen if he were prosecuted. The New York Times in the last day had two op-eds demanding his prosecution, one by <clears throat> um, an author named Blow, um, uh, who you can always predict how he was going to come out. Um, and, and the other by one of my former students, who's a, a decent, able guy, former ambassador to the Czech Republic, who thinks that he should be prosecuted by the state of, of Georgia. Um, I think one thing is clear. If you're ever going to prosecute a former president, <clears throat> the evidence has to be overwhelming it has to be a slam dunk and a conviction has to be assured. Nothing could be worse for the country than to prosecute a former president and lose. <clears throat> now, can anybody ever lose a jury trial in the District of Columbia if you're Trump or associated with Trump? I, I don't know. In Georgia, of course. Um, yes, that certainly is a possibility. Um, but uh you know, the jury pool in the District of Columbia would be comprised of, you know, 90 percent Trump haters uh, or at least people who are very strongly opposed to him. And whether he'd get a fair trial or not, I don't know. What what I'm going to do, though, is I'm I'm a criminal law professor. I'm a criminal lawyer, probably the most you know experienced appellate lawyer um, in the history of the country, probably won more appeals um, um, than any uh, private lawyer. Um, uh, in the history of the country, maybe because I argued more of them, but I have more experience than anybody else in this regard. And I am really an expert on whether a criminal prosecution will succeed uh, or not. It will not succeed in this case, in my view, and I'll, I'll tell you why. So <clears throat> the basic allegations against uh, Trump, first, let's start with the state and federal one, the one that is both a state and federal charge. And 
And, and there's no dispute about the evidence in, in, in these cases, in most of these cases. There is a recorded phone conversation in which President Trump um, tells the um, uh, state secretary of state of Georgia, um, I don't have his exact words in front of me, but I want you to find 7,000 or so votes that would put us over, over the top. Now, <clears throat> it all depends on how you in, interpret that statement. It could easily be interpreted uh, to mean, uh, I want you to look hard. I want you to check every ballot. I want you to see if there are voters who voted who shouldn't have voted, or whether there are voters who should have voted but didn't vote. And I hope you will look so hard that and leave no stone unturned and you will uncover 7,000 votes that weren't registered for me, that is Trump when he says it, and uh, that should have been registered. That's the most plausible reading. The prosecutorial reading would be different. And that is <clears throat> they would claim that um, Trump was directing the Secretary of State to create, to concoct, to manufacture 7,000 votes fraudulently. Now, you'd have to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. There is simply no evidence <clears throat> to support that interpretation. And you can't just imagine an interpretation that way. Um, the evidence has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. In fact, to even the New York Times writers said to prosecute a president, it has to really be beyond any doubt. And there's grave doubt. In fact, I think the preponderance of the evidence favors the more plausible interpretation, find me 7,000 votes, meaning look hard for them and, and, and find them, not create them. Um, he didn't say create, concoct, manufacture. 7,000 votes. He said, find them. Find means they exist. And so um, I don't think there's any realistic chance that he could be successfully prosecuted for that statement. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nor is there any realistic chance, in my view, that he could be prosecuted for his January uh, 6th speech. I think it was an ill-advised speech. I think it was a wrong speech. I think it was morally and politically inappropriate. But remember what the committee did, the January 6th committee. They cheated. Um, they played excerpts from the speech over and over again. I think I'm correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I'm correct. Never in all of their hearing days did they ever play the part of the speech in which President Trump said, I want you to go down to the Capitol and peacefully and patriotically protest. I'm particularly sensitive to this because CNN did that to me. They took out the words unlawful, illegal, corrupt motive. And then they said, Dershowitz said a president can do anything, even commit unlawful, illegal, corrupt motive crimes, having taken those three words out of what I said and having doctored the tape. So CNN did it. Um, that They're just a, a private company. The, the House of the United States, the committee assigned by the House, did the same thing. They doctored a tape. They took key words out. And once you put those key words in, it's much, much harder to uh, prosecute President Trump for what he said on January 6th. Now, the third and weakest uh, claim is to prosecute President Trump for what he didn't say on January 6th. Um, and my former colleague, Professor Lawrence Tribe, focuses on that. He says, 
that President Trump can be prosecuted and successfully convicted on the charge of attempting to murder Vice President Pence. Well, Larry, go back to law school. You should have taken my course on criminal law. You're not a criminal lawyer. You don't know what you're talking about. The law of attempts in no jurisdiction in the United States and in no jurisdiction in any Western democracy would permit a prosecution of Donald Trump or anybody else based on the evidence in this case for attempting to murder uh, the vice president of the United States. Attempted murder has the highest level of intent, much higher than for murder itself. It's ironic. I won a case many years ago, a very famous case, where my client shot a dead man thinking or not knowing whether he was alive or dead. And we won the case because it was clear that the level required for intent when nobody's actually dies, you can't kill a dead man, obviously, is higher, significantly higher than it is for a completed crime. Because a completed crime, you can presume if a person killed somebody, he intended to kill him. But when the person doesn't kill him, to prove that he intended to do something that didn't happen is much harder. So there isn't a ghost of a chance that a reasonable jury properly instructed could find that uh, President Trump attempted to kill um, uh, Vice President Pence. Well, what about conspiracy. You know, prosecutors love conspiracies, a RICO, all of those things that can stretch beyond any recognition. And um, it's shocking that people who claim to be civil libertarians like Tribe, like the people who wrote for the New York Times, are prepared to use such an incredible McCarthyite tactic of stretching the criminal law to fit the crime. Again, it's not only McCarthyism, it's Stalinism. It's, it's Lavrenti Beria telling Stalin, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. Yeah, you can stretch conspiracy beyond all recognition and apply it to anything. My, my dear friend Harvey Silverglade wrote a book a few years ago called Three Felonies a Day, in which he proved conclusively um, that the criminal law can be stretched beyond any recognition. The name of the book is based on a game that prosecutors used to play. They would pick somebody out out of the blue, basically, and say, find three felonies on them. Two of them would always be conspiracy. So I, I don't believe for a moment that President Trump can be prosecuted successfully for, for any crime. And what I worry about so much is that liberals and Democrats and people who claim to be civil libertarians are prepared to weaponize the criminal law in this way. Look, Republicans are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to go after President Biden's son. Um, again, I don't know all the evidence there, but I don't like when you target people. When you say, and basically what some Republicans are saying, is let's go after Hunter Biden. We'll figure out what the crime is, but let's go after him. We'll discover something. It's wrong when the Republicans do it. It's wrong when the Democrats do it. You know, no wonder I don't have any friends. Um, I alienate Democrats. I alienate Republicans. I think James Madison and Alexander Hamilton would like me, but they're not around. Um, if you believe in the Constitution, then you don't want to see either the criminal law or impeachment law weaponized for uh, political purposes. But today, very few people care about the Constitution. Very few people care about right and wrong. 
Very few people care about a principle. That's why I wrote my book. You know, you know, I wrote this book, The Price of Principle, by the way, my 50th book. And the New York Times had a wonderful ad uh, the other day uh, congratulating me uh, for my 50th book. Starts with a quote from the president of Israel, Mazel Tov to Alan for his important 50th book. And then it goes, quotes all the people who said nice things about me, including three presidents, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama and George W. Bush. So if you happen to have the New York Times flip to the back of the book review section, and I think you would enjoy reading this ad even better, go on Amazon and buy my book. I think you'll enjoy that, too. By the way, you might have noticed that. I don't have a tooth over here. The other day, it was as a result of a turtle bite. A turtle bite? How did you lose your tooth as a result of a turtle bite? Well, I bit into a chocolate turtle. And the chocolate turtle um, snapped my tooth off. It was a snapping turtle. So you know, you'll have to pardon my look. I, I know what I look like. And I hope by tomorrow, I will be able to get a dentist appointment and look as handsome as I usually look. My wife thinks I'm still okay looking, but um, even she would, I think, like to see me improve my, my tooth. So that's my view. I do not think that uh, President uh, Trump, former President Trump, should or will be um, indicted and prosecuted, nor do I think should be reelect or elected. I don't think so. Um, I, I think I agree with the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal, both of which are conservative newspapers, who basically over the weekend said that he should not be uh, reelected president of the United States. But that's a different matter. That's politics. That depends on the voters. What's wrong is when Democrats try to get democratically elected or appointed prosecutors to selectively prosecute. I mean, if, if under the theory that many people are posing, you could go after Black Lives Matter leaders in, in Seattle and in Portland and other places where there were riots and where the riots followed speeches. You could go after union leaders who, who made speeches over the years that were followed by violence. I defended a professor many, many years ago, Bruce Franklin, at Stanford University, who made a speech allegedly advocating taking over the computation center and trashing it. The students then took over the computation center and trashed it. And the question, of course, in that case was whether or not uh, he either advocated or incited. And the law is different. You can advocate. You can say, I think it would be a good idea for the United States government to be overthrown and a communist government replace it. You can say that, but you can't incite a crowd. If President Trump was standing outside of the Capitol building, which he wanted to do, and there's conflicting evidence of whether he stopped the car and wanted to grab the steering wheel, but if he had actually stood in front of the Capitol and had screamed and yelled at the people who were right near the entrance and said, go in, go in, go in, go in, that would be incitement. And I think he could be prosecuted for that. But making a speech a mile away and ending it with, I want you to go there and, and, and protest peacefully and patriotically. That's protected by the First Amendment. And I have a message for Professor Tribe, for Charles Blow, and for the others. The First Amendment trumps. Bad pun. First Amendment trumps 
the criminal law, especially when the criminal law is stretched beyond all recognition. What would it do to the country if President Trump were to be indicted? It would divide the country even more than it is currently divided. Sometimes it's hard to believe that it could be divided anymore, but it could be. If you have a former president of the United States on trial, that would divide the country. President Ford understood that. He was a profile in courage. He knew, I spoke to him about this a few years later. He knew that by pardoning Richard Nixon, uh, he would be giving up his chances of being elected president of the United States in the next election. He knew that. And he pardoned him in the interest of the country. He didn't like him. He didn't think what he did was right. But he pardoned him in the interest of uniting the country, of keeping it together. And he appointed a great attorney general, Edward Levy, to kind of clean up the Justice Department and rid it of political considerations. And uh, that picture of Edward Levy sits right on top of where Merrick Garland sits in the Justice Department. And I sure hope Edward Levy is looking down at him and saying, Merrick, uh -uh, do it, do it. Uh, president Ford did, do what I did when I was attorney general, do not prosecute a former president. Look, if a former president committed a clear crime, one that's unambiguous, if they had a videotape of him taking money or giving money, that would be a very different matter. And there has been one vice president who could easily have been convicted of a serious crime while he was vice president of the United States, how many of you know that when Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton in a duel, he was the vice president of the United States. He was an incumbent vice president. But Hamilton and Burr crossed the Hudson River and went to New Jersey to have the duel because although it was illegal in New Jersey, New Jersey didn't prosecute duelers from New York. Had the duel taken place now where Central Park is or someplace around there, which was the country in those days, this was the, wood, the woods, um, there might very well have been a prosecution. Probably couldn't have been a federal prosecution because I don't know that there was on the books then a statute that would have, and remember Hamilton was not an office holder. He had retired, resigned from Secretary of Treasury. So he was an ordinary citizen when he was killed. And you might say he consented to being killed by the duel, but that wasn't the law. The law outlawed dueling and had a special penalty for people who killed another in a duel. I'm not even sure the penalty was different for the, let's assume the duel had resulted only in a wounding. I think both people probably could have been prosecuted, but they weren't. And uh, Burr ultimately was prosecuted for treason and acquitted unanimously by a jury, which rendered a special verdict. They didn't find him not guilty. They found it not proven. And uh, he complained and tried to get the verdict changed to not guilty. And the, the judge, uh, an obscure jurist named John Marshall, who became the chief justice of the United States, uh, who was the chief justice of the United States when he presided over the trial of um, uh, the, the, the treason trial, refused to, refused to um, change the verdict. And so he went to his death, not having been found not guilty, but only having been found not, not proven. But the point is the criminal law should not be stretched and should not be selectively applied politically. And it shouldn't be used to prevent somebody from running for office. 
use your energies to prevent him from winning legitimately. That's what democracy is all about. The American public will simply not accept a criminal prosecution of a former president that has the effect of denying him the ability to run for office. Now, Congress, under the 14th Amendment, 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments, those post-Civil War amendments, they do have the power. We don't know what it means, but they have the power to disqualify a person from holding office by um, finding him guilty of insurrection. But what does that mean? Do you have a trial? Uh, isn't that a bill of attainder in violation of the Constitution? Does he have to have been convicted previously by a regular jury of insurrection? We don't know the answer to any of these, any of these questions. They're all in the Constitution. I've been reading, studying, writing, teaching this stuff now for close to 60 years. I don't know the answers. I don't know the answers. And if I don't know the answers, neither does Professor Tribe and neither does Charles Blow and neither do any of the others who have been advocating with certainty, with absolute certainty, the conclusions they know are right. And how dare anybody doubt them? They're Professor Tribe and they're Charles Blow of the New York Times. They're wrong. So let's take some questions now. Okay. This is a good one. Professor Dershowitz, can you organize an academic debate on any of the controversial issues you are constantly talking about? Abortion, gun control, border crisis, trans ideology, two teams, diverse crowd, key question directed at the crowd before and after. You know what it's supposed to look like. Debate is dead in America. Lincoln and Douglas would not have been permitted to debate in many parts of America. If you support Lincoln, you don't want Douglas to speak. If you support Douglas, you don't want Lincoln to speak. That's what's going on in America. That's what's missing. I have been trying to get debates over these issues now for years. Nobody wants to debate me. They would rather just say, you shouldn't be allowed to speak. And people on the other side are saying the same thing. This guy has a great idea. Let's have debates. And if any of you can figure out ways of getting people on the other side to come and sit down and debate and dialogue the way I used to do with William Buckley. We used to debate all of these issues. And then we would put our arms around each other and go out and have a, a scotch. And, uh, and we would ask how each other's family is doing. That's the way it used to be. I don't want to seem like a dinosaur who's going back to the good old days. They weren't so good in many ways, but they were very good in the sense of debate was value. Today, it's disvalued. Today, everybody knows what the answer is. You don't need to have a debate. You don't need to have free speech. You don't need to have due process. If you know the truth with a capital T, why bother? That's unfortunately the growing attitude in the United States today. Okay, next question. Professor Dershowitz, Nixon's impeachment, warranted or unwarranted? Warranted. He should have been impeached. He committed impeachable offenses. And he was charged with impeachable offenses under the Constitution. I 100% back then supported Nixon's impeachment when I made my speech against the impeachment of President Trump in front of the United States Senate. I explicitly stated that Nixon should have been impeached. He's the only president who should have been impeached. President Andrew Johnson shouldn't have been impeached. President Clinton shouldn't have been impeached, shouldn't have been impeached. And President Trump shouldn't have been impeached. Only President Nixon. 
Of course, CNN said that I thought President Nixon shouldn't be impeached. They just made it up. They just made it up. And the New York Times corrected them. But they still say the same thing. They still say, oh, Dershowitz thinks Nixon could get away with it if he wanted to be reelected. Again, they just just make it up. Okay. And then, of course, you get in every batch of these mails, you get this. It can take a different form, but I have to read one just to show you. This is from Gior Samat, G-H-E-O-R-S-O-W-M-A-T. You should remember that name because he should be ashamed of himself. No, but you, Alan Kazar, Zionist, fake, and satanic pile of shit Jew, are. I don't know what he's talking about, but he has to get in those words. That's, you know... Thank you, listeners, for including somebody like that in your group. Um, okay, this is a good letter. By coincidence, the very same day Alan Dershowitz explained his disagreement with his brother-in-law, remember I talked about Marvin Cohen, brilliant, brilliant guy who supports a woman's right to choose, supports gay marriage, supports climate control, supports all the things on the liberal agenda that we were all grown up with. That, but he still voted for Trump because he thinks those are not the great priorities of the national federal government today. He thinks foreign policy, the economy, and other things like that are more important. So the very same day Dershowitz explained his disagreement with his brother-in-law. And by the way, we argue and we debate. We don't cut each other off. We have polite, serious debates. Sometimes they take a few hours over a long lunch. And then we walk out and we love each other. Um, we don't agree with each other, but we don't take it personally. I wish there was more of that. Okay. Each of their priorities on same-sex marriage versus the safety and security of the state of Israel. Ben Shapiro was interviewed in Tel Aviv about exactly the same subject. His reply, and then they quote Ben Shapiro, my former student at Harvard Law School, if as a Jew... Your values are more in line with same-sex marriage, transgenderism, and abortion than they are, for example, with the safety and security of the state of Israel. I have serious questions about how you think of yourself as a Jew, receiving, and he received a standing ovation. I am a great fan of Professor Dershowitz and most of the time agree with his opinions. In this specific case, I fully support Ben Shapiro's and Professor Dershowitz's brother-in-law's opinion. Well, look, I'm an American. When I vote in an election... I vote for what's best for America. I think that support for Israel is best for America. I could never vote for a candidate who is anti-Israel. I'll tell you right now, if Bernie Sanders gets the nomination on the Democratic Party, I will not vote for him. I will not vote for uh, AOC ever in my life or any of the other people on the Democratic fringe <clears throat> who are extremist anti-Semites and anti-Israel. I will not do it. Yeah, Bernie Sanders is an anti-Semite. He's a Jew, but he's an anti-Semite. He applies a double standard to the nation state of the Jewish people because it's the nation state of the Jewish people. That, to me, is anti-Semitism. Sorry, Bernie, you're not getting my vote. But I care deeply about these other issues, about a woman's right to choose. I care deeply about gay rights. I care deeply about crime, climate control. I care deeply about gun control. So I'm going to vote for the person who best achieves the appropriate balance. But I would never vote for 
I'll tell you several candidates I would never vote for. I would never vote for a candidate who doesn't believe in a woman's right to choose. Wouldn't do it. Just wouldn't do it. And I wouldn't vote for a candidate who didn't believe in Israel's right to exist and to defend itself. I wouldn't do it. I've never yet had to stay home, and I hope I never had to stay home. But I couldn't vote for a candidate who supported either of those uh, points of, of view. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I disagree with my wonderful brother-in-law, and I disagree with Tommy, who wrote this letter. And I think in the end, I disagree with Ben Shapiro. Um, but uh, I don't disagree dramatically. I don't disagree in a cancellation way. I just think that I have a different balance about these issues and would come out somewhat, somewhat differently. Um, okay. Next, I don't agree with a lot of your views, but the great thing about the United States is I listen to you because I want to know what other people think, uh, understand where they are coming from, what they believe in. It's not about what's right. It's about understanding other people. What my moral values, what I stand for is not going to be the same as everyone, just like a favorite color of food, fashion, or music. We need to get back to respect, respect what we are all unique individuals. Boy, three cheers for that. I would hope that reflects my viewers more than some of the other. And now, since I read such nasty stuff, let me read a nice thing. Dershowitz is a national treasure. So nice to hear a calm, rational voice that calls balls and strikes fairly for both teams. First of all, my wife doesn't think I'm always uh, calm and rational, and my voice is always calm and rational. I, I aspire to it. I try it. I'm looking at my wife right now. But it's, it's something I have to work on a little bit, a little bit more. As far as balls and strikes are concerned, as you know, uh, I'm a great baseball fan. And every umpire has a different strike zone. So the key to me is not if you have an umpire, an umpire with a wide strike zone or an umpire with a narrow strike zone. I can live with either of those. What I care about is if you have a wide strike zone, you call the balls and strikes the same way no matter who the batter is. If you have a narrow strike zone, you call balls and strikes exactly the same way, no matter who the batter is, no matter who the pitcher is. Um, and that's not what's going on in the United States of America today. Today, people are calling balls and strikes depending on who the pitcher and who the batter are, whether it's Republican or Democrat, whether it's pro-Trump or pro-Biden. That's what's wrong with America. And that's what's wrong with our criminal justice system. And that's what's wrong with attempts to try to prosecute former President Trump. So my advice, don't prosecute him. Vote against him. See you tomorrow.